Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church in Wellston, Oklahoma, featuring the weekly teaching and preaching ministry of the church. We are grateful that you are choosing to join us today. Our prayer is that you are blessed by today's study of God's Word, and your heart will be receptive to what God desires to teach you today. For more information about FBC Wellston, please visit our website at fbcwellston.org. We hope you enjoyed today's service, and we look forward to studying God's Word with you today. Good to see you all, each and every one of you here this morning. Hope you have a Bible with you. And if you do, if you'd open it up with me to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to be at during our time together in the Word. And then when you come in, if you get one of those bulletins on the back of that, there'll be some notes if you want to use that as we work through God's Word together this morning. So Mark chapter 1, we are continuing um, as we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark in the last several weeks. And so here, um, this morning we come to Mark chapter 1 and we start in verse 12. If you would read along out of your copy as I read aloud out of mine. Mark records and he says, The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I pray that God adds understanding and application to his word this morning. This is not the first time that we've been in the Gospel of Mark. This is now a multiple time that we've been as we've been walking through Mark. It kind of follows on the hills where we've been at for the last several months out of the book of Exodus. And one of the things that I tried to emphasize out of the book of Exodus is when we see pictures and principles of how the church is to behave or the mission of the church. And then as we pivoted to the Gospel of Mark, the desire is, or the intention is, the hope is, is to show us as a body that not only has God given us a mission as a church, but He's also given us a message as a church. So the first time we looked at Mark, Mark was giving us the, the picture, he was giving us the narrative of John the Baptist coming on the scene. And as John comes on the scene, he is announcing to all of those around him that Jesus is coming. The King is coming. The next time we were in the book of the Gospel of Mark, we were seeing that Jesus then came and he submitted to the baptism. And as he came up out of the water, it said the Spirit of the Lord came down upon him and the voice from heaven cried out. This is my beloved son. So as Mark has been walking us and he shows us that the king is coming, Jesus is coming, and then as he, Mark then turns the page and says, don't forget, this is God's son. This morning we are going to look at the very beginning. It's kind of the, the coming out party, if you will. And I've entitled this, you see it in your notes, He is here. Because here in the passage that we're in, as Mark then continues the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we go from the fact that he is coming and who he is, he is God's son, to now he is here. And purposefully, we are looking at verse 12 through verse 15 all in one time because not only do we get the idea of the mission of what Jesus started off saying, but we get the backstory of what brought him to that moment. 
Sometimes we think that the grand opening, we think the very first beginning, we think the very first start, we think the very first step of something might be the beginning. But if you've ever done anything like that, you realize there's always two parts. You have the time of the preparation and then you have the time of the proclamation. So this morning, and I'm going to go ahead and give you up front, uh, point one and point two has to do with the preparation and it has to do with the proclamation. Because as we think about the message that Mark is showing us that God is giving to the church, it's not just a message of preparation, but it's also a message of proclamation. And you can't have a message of proclamation without a message of preparation. And you're not going to have preparation unless you have something to proclaim. So the two tie in together. And one of the things that I'm going to try to drive home, and you may get tired of hearing me say it this morning, one of the things that I'm going to try to drive home over and over and over again is which stage of life are you in? Are you in the stage right now this morning of preparation? Or are you in the stage this morning of proclamation? You see, if you're here this morning and you're a believer of Jesus Christ, you're in one of two stages this morning. Men's breakfast yesterday morning, Mo Wittenberg was talking about his father and talking about examples. And, and one of the things that he was reflecting upon was an examined life. And it's the idea that you and I are all living lives. And what are we living for? Are we living ex- to be examined by our creator? Or are we living for a life that is something other than what God has created us and so I think, based upon the text this morning, I think that I'm in good, good standing to say that when we see the life of, and the ministry of Jesus, we see a time of preparation leading up to a time of proclamation. And then, as we'll see later on during our time together in the Word, we see them go back and forth. We see them go from a time of preparation to a time of proclamation. And then they may even go back to a time of preparation to go back into a time of proclamation. So that's where I, I, I'm going to push in this morning and say, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ in the room this morning... Which stage or season of life are you in? So let's go back to the text. So Mark chapter 1, verse 12, these first two verses we see the one side, I put there in your notes, the one side of the coin being that of preparation. We see how Mark presents the preparation of Christ. It says there at the verse part of verse 12, the spirit, the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Now you might be familiar with this account. Mark only gives us two verses here in this passage, but if you go to Matthew chapter 4, a parallel passage, he covers this in 11 verses. If you go to Luke chapter 4, another parallel passage, he talks about it in 13 verses. It's the temptation of of Christ. And if you're to go back to one of those other parallel passages, you will see that when Jesus goes out of the wilderness, he doesn't take a posse with him. He doesn't take an entourage with him. He doesn't take a whole group with him. He doesn't go any doesn't take anybody with him. He goes out and he is out there by himself. And in Mark chapter 4 as it gives the account, it says that Jesus goes out in the wilderness and he set out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and fasted. And then after the 40 days and 40 nights, Mark, Matthew chapter 4 says, then Satan came. It's the idea that when Jesus is out there in a time of preparation, it's not just a time of preparation, but it's also a time of isolation. It's a time of getting him aside. Now, I can't tell you exactly what God was saying to Jesus or what Jesus was saying to God during that time, but sometimes the place that God needs to get you and I to where we will listen to him is away from all the noise. And you and I 
do not fully understand how much noise is constantly around us. How much noise we hear from our phones going ding, 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 dong, 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 going off. We have the noise of the radio. We have the noise of the television. We have the noise of the news media. We have the noise of the people around us. We have the noise of the culture. We have the noise of the society. And all these things are going on. And sometimes God just says, you need to listen to me. So we see this time of preparation that Mark is giving us that Jesus went through. He went out of the wilderness. It says in verse 13, he was in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. So what do we understand? We understand that this time of preparation it is a time of isolation. It is a place of temptation. You do realize that temptation is not just something that you deal with. The temptation is also an opportunity for you and I to turn to God. Temptation is sometimes a tool that God uses to test us, to refine us, to purify us. And it, when they're out in the wilderness, Jesus is giving us an example and he's giving us a model. It's a time of isolation. It's a place of temptation. It's an opportunity of dedication. As he's out there, and you may slice it different ways. You can go to Matthew 4 and you go to Luke 4 and you can see how he was tempted. But I've heard one commentator talk about when Jesus is out there, Satan comes and tempts him in three primary ways ways, in pleasure, in position, and in popularity. And as he comes and he tempts Jesus and says, Jesus, don't you want this? All three times, Jesus responds saying, it is written. Every single time, Jesus does not say, well, this is what I think or what this is someone else thinks. Every single time, Jesus refers back to the book of Deuteronomy to say, this is what God has said. And sometimes that moment of preparation, sometimes that time of isolation, sometimes that is a moment that God is using us, that God is putting us in, that God is molding in us an opportunity for us to face the temptation, for us to dedicate our lives, and I put there at the last part, a season of sanctification. When Jesus comes out of the wilderness, the ministry begins. It says almost that this was the final moment, the final moment of preparation before game time. It's 1984. A movie was released by Columbia Pictures entitled The Karate Kid. Now they've had sequels since then. Even one that tried to match it here just a few years ago. But the original, the best one was in 1984. 84. And when that movie came out, there were some scenes in that movie that people immediately latched onto and that I could identify with. Several scenes that just pop out to me as Danny LaRusso is sitting there and Mr. Miyagi is trying to prepare him and, and trying to get him ready. Remember, there's those seasons that he goes through and he, and he paints the fence, right? Remember that? He paints the entire fence all the way around the property and Danny's getting upset and Danny's getting frustrated and Danny's getting discouraged. It's like, I'm just your little butler. I'm just doing your, your menial work. And then he gets done with that. And remember what Mr. Miyagi does. Now we're going to stay in the deck. And you look back, and in the backyard is all of this wooden deck all around all these koi ponds. And he sits down, and he sands the deck for hours and hours and hours just sanding the deck. And now he's frustrated. Now he's discouraged. And now he thinks, finally, this man is going to teach me some karate. And what does he do? He takes him out. And he's got this whole garage, this whole pasture of all of these cars. You're going to wash them. And not just you're going to wash them, you're going to wax. Remember? 
Don't look at me like that. Wax on, wax off. Remember this? So you've got these lines. And at the very end of these three different times, you finally have the main character, Daniel LaRusso, and he is fit to be tied. He is aggravated. He is tired of doing all the work. He came here to learn karate. And as he's voicing, his, venting his frustration to Mr. Miyagi, Mr. Miyagi then puts him to the test. And what you realize when you're watching the movie is, is the point was not to paint the fence. The point was not to sand the deck. The point was not to wax the car. The point was to prepare for what was coming ahead. So Jesus here in this passage, and and this is the the example that Mark has given us, and Mark is saying, listen, if Jesus is going to go through a time of preparation, why do you and I not think that we're going to go through a time of preparation? If Jesus is going to go through this moment, this season of preparing for the ministry that God has in front of him, why do we not think that we're going to go through that same time? You can think about, and you might write this down in your margin, think about Luke chapter 6. And it tells us there in the gospel account that Jesus went up in the mountain by himself, removed himself from the crowd, and spent all night in prayer before he then came down and chose the twelve to follow him as disciples. Acts chapter 1 tells us that it was on the 40th day after the resurrection that Jesus ascended back to the right hand of the Father. But Jesus told them, you disciples, you early church, you all wait. You wait until the Spirit comes. And then it says that 10 days later, they're all together in prayer, going through this time of preparation. The Spirit comes, Peter preaches the first sermon, and the church is off. You see it in other places in Scripture where there was a time of preparation that led to a great time of proclamation. I can't tell you what season you're in right now. But sometimes you and I start to think that the bad things happening to us or the challenges that we're facing, the struggles that we're dealing with, or the obstacles that seem they just come in waves and waves and waves. Sometimes you and I start to think that God's mad at us or God's being mean to us. Or that, oh my goodness, we just can't ever catch a break. If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. And maybe, maybe it's just God putting you in a place to prepare you for the faithfulness that he has in store for you in the future. So Mark gives us this example. Mark says, okay, so part of the beginning of the ministry, part of the, the, the start of Jesus um, launching out in this public ministry, part of it started with a time of preparation. But then you get down to verse 14, and then we see what happens. That preparation then turns to proclamation. And notice what Jesus does. It says, now after John was arrested, we'll come back to that later on in the gospel, Jesus came into Galilee. It's a region there around the Sea of Galilee. It's giving us a geographical location. He comes into Galilee and what is he doing he's proclaiming the gospel of God and notice what he is saying now if your Bible is one of those red letter editions you'll see that the rest of this is all in red this is what Jesus is saying so the first thing that Jesus has to say so if you if you look in the preceding verses of Mark chapter 1 Mark doesn't give us any direct quotes from Jesus Yeah, he comes. Yes, he submits to the baptism. Yes, he's baptized. Yes, the Spirit comes like a dove. Yes, God speaks from the heaven. But this is the first time recorded in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus speaks. That's significant. What does he say? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. 
Now let's just look at what Jesus said and let's just consider what Jesus said and what that then means for our lives today. The first thing he starts off with is telling them that now is the time. He says, the time is fulfilled. Now you and I in our Western mindset, sometimes we just run right past that. We just scoot right past that and we don't fully grasp what he means when he says the time is now fulfilled. So let me take you back and just give you a grand meta history lesson, if you will. It is Genesis chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, God had created Adam and he had created Eve and he had put them in the garden and he had said, you may have any of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden except the fruit of that one tree. Do not eat of the fruit of the one tree or you will die. You know the story. Here comes the snake. It's always the snake. The snake comes, tempts Adam and Eve. They sin against God. God comes and he confronts them. He confronts the serpent. He curses the snake. And in Genesis 3 and 15, he says this. I will put, this is God speaking to the snake. The snake, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The Bible scholars talk about it being the proto-evangelion. It just is a fancy word, meaning the first telling of the gospel. It is the first time we see in Scripture where God says, even though sin has entered in the world, even though man has sinned against God, even though man, humanity, has rebelled against me, I am going to make a way for forgiveness to come. I am going to make a way so that people might be saved. I'm going to make a path for people then to come to me. So in Genesis 3.15, there is the fracturing, there, there is the separation that comes. And then from Genesis 3.15 all the way throughout history, you have the calling of Abraham and God setting him apart. Then you have the people ending up in the Egyptian bondage. 400 years they're in Egyptian bondage thinking, is somebody going to come and rescue us? Is somebody going to come and save us? 400 years later, God calls Moses, brings Moses up out of the wilderness, takes him back to Pharaoh, then Moses leads the people after 400 years out of the Egyptian bondage. They get into the wilderness, headed to the promised land. The people rebel against God. God says, well, this generation is not going to go into my promised land. And for 40 years, they wander around while that generation dies off. Then you get to the book of Deuteronomy, and, and Moses leads them back to the edge of the promised land, gives them the final instruction, he goes up on the mountain, dies. Then Joshua takes the people into the promised land. They conquer the promised land. Hurrah, great, everything is good. And then Judges gives us the account of the cycle of success and failure, good and bad, faithfulness and sin, faithfulness and sin. First, second Samuel, first, second Kings, first, second Chronicles gives us the story about the ebb and flow of humanity and their obedience and their faithfulness and then the disobedience and their sin and how this went back and forth and back and forth. And so all of this time has led up where the people realizing that as much as they may want to and as much as they may wish, they cannot keep the law. And so the end of Malachi, the last book in your Old Testament, ends with the promise that God is going to send a son. This problem with trying to be perfect but falling short and then feeling guilty and then always being at odds with God, that will one day come to an end. And that white page you have between the end of Malachi and the beginning of the New Testament is another 400 years. 400 years of silence of the people wondering, what is it going to take to be right with God? 
What is it going to take to know that we have assurance of our standing before God? What is it going to take to be acceptable in the eyes of God? So then as Mark opens up his gospel, and as Jesus comes on the scene, and Jesus looks at the listener and tells them, the time is fulfilled, he's not saying, oh, guess what? It is 1133 on a Sunday morning. He's not talking about that time. He's not talking about the time that their service begins. He's not talking about the time of the day on the calendar. What he's saying is all the things that God has promised from Genesis 3 to this very day, it is all culminating to this moment. And what is this moment? It's the moment that Jesus came. And when Jesus comes, he says there in chapter uh, 1 and, and verse 15, and saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus comes on the scene, he reminds them and he tells them that this is the moment God has now provided the way. Jesus knew who he was. God knew who he was. John the Baptist knew who he was. The disciples would then come to know who he was. Multiple, multiple, numerous people would then come to know who he was. But he is saying, by my very presence, by my coming out in obedience and faithful to God, I am now the way that God has set aside for people to come to him. That's why you see in John chapter 14 and verse 6, the Bible is very clear. The only way to God is through Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes on the scene and he makes this proclamation. <clears throat> now is the time. God is offering a way. So how do we do this? Repent and believe in the gospel. An old terminology that I haven't heard in a very long time that some of you may be familiar with and some of you are not. I remember listening to preachers from yesterday talk about turn before you burn. And it's this idea and this reference back to Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25 and verse 46, Jesus makes the promise that every single person, every single man, woman, boy, and girl, every single person is going to live in an eternity in one of two places. Either you will live for an eternity in heaven with God forever, or you will spend an eternity separated from God by your sin. And it talks about hell being a place of eternal punishment, eternal anguish, the fire and all of those things, all of the, the, the worst things you can imagine being separated from God in eternal darkness. And so I listen, remember listening to those preachers saying, listen, here is the moment. Here is the time. If you do not make a decision today, you cannot guarantee that when you stand before God, you will have anything to offer for your sin. In fact, the Bible says you have nothing to offer for your sin, and therefore you'll be found guilty of sin, eternally separated from God. So Jesus comes on the scene and he says, here's the time. The time is today. Well, Spence, how about we just do that tomorrow? You don't know if you have tomorrow. I was listening to a preacher last week by the name of Steve Lawson, and he made a point and he said, tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the day of the Lord. Jesus is saying, now is the time. Oh, you might think you have more time. You might think that you're going to do it another time. You might think that, oh, this is not the right time. Jesus is saying, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to turn to God. And I have no idea how many of you in this morning, here in here this morning, 
know that you don't have a right relationship with the Lord. And yet you've already convinced yourself this morning is not the time. I have no idea of knowing how many of you are in here this morning. And you know you're not right with God. It's not a matter of your salvation. It's a matter of your sanctification. It's a matter of your obedience. It's a matter of your faithfulness. You know you're not right with God. And somehow you've already convinced yourself this morning is not the time. Please do not assume that there will be a better time coming. Jesus made it very clear when it came to the proclamation, now is the time. God has given us a way. Turn to God before it is too late. Repent, he says in verse 15. Repent and believe in the gospel. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Paul is writing, and he reminds us that there was going to come a day that every knee will bow before the Lord. Every knee. And so I put it there in your notes. Believe before you bow. Jesus is saying you have have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to turn, repent of your sin, to turn to God. And it's not a matter of saying, well, I choose to accept him. No, he is the Lord, whether you accept him or not. The question is, is are you going to bow your knee now, or are you going to bow your knee in judgment? And Jesus comes and he says, this is the message. This is what God has sent me to say. This is the message. Repent and believe in the gospel. It was in 1956. A jingle was written. It was produced and is released. And nobody, according to their testimony, nobody realized how popular or how timeless the jingle would become. Now, some of you implants that didn't grow up around here, you're not going to be familiar with this. And I'm sorry for that. But the jingle goes like this. Jewelry is the gift to give. Because it's the gift that gives and gives. Lives and lives. Since 1956, that jingle has played into your hearing every November since 1956. In 1961, they thought that we need to update it, we need to change it a little bit. And, and they made a few modifications, and the public outcry said, no, you can't change it, and they put it back. It was in 1977 when commercials went from 60 seconds to 30 seconds. They had to trim a little bit of the jingle to make it go from a 35-second jingle to a 30-second jingle. But ever since then, the jingle has stayed the same. And every single time it comes around to November, and like this year, since 1822, that, uh, that company has been in existence, and now, this coming November, you're going to hear the jingle again. And what started off in 1956 on your radio that maybe had an 8-track deck in your vehicle, then went to a tape deck, then maybe went to a CD deck, and then you went from listening to it at the radio, and then you started seeing it on the television... And then maybe now you're listening to it on our computer over the internet. You see, the method of communicating the message has changed. 
And B.C. Clark has changed on how they reach people. And they've changed on how they communicate to people. And they've changed on how they get that jingle into people's ears. But what hasn't changed since 1956 is the message. Give the gift you know can't fail at B.C. Clark's anniversary sale. Why do I bring that up on a morning like this? Because church, we are constantly being pulled in one way or another to say we've got to change the message. We've got to be more palpable. We've got to be more likable. We've got to be more. Uh, we've got to be easier and, and, and more um, more desirable to a watching crowd. And we are constantly being pulled to say that we need to compromise. We need to commit to capitulate. We need to give in. We need to loosen up. And we're constantly being pulled in direction after direction after direction. And while some of you may say, well, you know what, I like this method. Some people say, I like the method of singing hymns. Some people say, I like the method of singing praise and worship. Some people think, I like the method of an organ. And some people say, I like the method of a, a guitar. But regardless of the, message, the method, the message does not change. And what is our message as a church? Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the message that Jesus proclaimed in Mark chapter 1. It's the message that was then proclaimed all throughout the pages of the New Testament. If you think back, to the, it's the message that is still being proclaimed today. It's the message of repent and believe in the gospel. So Mark gives us the picture here in Mark chapter 1. He gives us the picture of the preparation that Jesus was going through and then the proclamation that then Jesus engaged in. So once again, here this morning, which stage are you in? Are you in the stage of preparation? Or are you in the stage of proclamation? Well, Spence, I'm not in either one. Well, then you're in the stage of separation from the will and the plan of God for your life. And what a dangerous place to be if you find yourself in a state of separation. Because if that is you this morning, God have mercy on your soul. So how do we take this passage and then put application to it? How do we take it and then put it in practice in our daily lives? So uh, you see they're going on in your notes. I, I've tried to say how, how can we take the message that Mark is showing us, the message that God has given to the church. How do we take this message and then put it into practice in everyday practical things in our homes, in our witness, in our evangelism? So I, I just put down three reminders, three, three um, points of application that I would give you from the text and from where we're at this morning. And the first one is this. Idolatry does not stay at home. Idolatry does not stay at home. You say, well, Spence, where do you get that from? Well, when Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus says the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, is it just the kingdom of God outside in the community? No. Is it just the kingdom of God in the public square? No. Is it the kingdom of God at church? No. Where is the kingdom of God? Every single where. But the problem that we're facing today is we have a great disconnect between who people are at church and who people are at home. And this disconnect is seen in generation after generation after generation, where you have 
families and you have parents and you have children that are doing one thing in public and they're doing another thing in private. And I'm going to tell you and I'm going to warn us and I'm going to plead with us that if we're going to be a people that are going to proclaim Jesus is Lord, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel, it needs to be something we don't just say in here, it needs to be something that we practice at home. Because the idolatry does not stay at home. What does it have to do with our witness? Well, Jesus says there in verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. And we need to remember that repentance is both inward and outward. Repentance is both inward and outward. David was talking about that this morning in Sunday school as he's talking about an example of, of a child that is standing up in the seat and you get onto the child and you tell the child to sit down and buckle in and the child sits down and buckles in but then looks at the parent and goes, I'm standing up in my head. I, I, have, I have some kids that I can relate to that have that kind of personality. And, and how many times do we as adults, you and I as adults will say, I'm going to go to church But while I'm at church, I'm thinking about a thousand other things and I'm not thinking about God. It's this idea that the repentance, the turning away, is not just something that we do in our heads, but it's also something we do with our hands. There is an action both inward and outward. And if you say, I have repented, I have turned away from the old self, and I have turned to the new self, I am now a new creation in God, it should be visible in not just what you say, but in what you do. So then how does this impact our evangelism? It reminds us that this message that we have been given, it is not about us. It is not about us. I find it very telling whenever Jesus comes on the scene. And you see this there in verse 15. When Jesus comes on the scene, Jesus doesn't say, Hey guys, my name is Jesus Christ. I grew up in Nazareth. I spent a little time before that down in Egypt. My earthly daddy was named Joseph. My earthly mama was named Mary, but I'm really God's son. And he doesn't come out and say, This is what my GPA was like in high school. And here's my resume. And here's where I live. And here's where I've worked at. And here's what I've done. And here's my hobbies. And here's all my interests. He doesn't come and say anything about himself. It is all about saying, Listen up. This is all about God. It's all about the gospel of God. You think fast forward from there and you get to Acts chapter 2. Spirit has fallen upon the apostles and the disciples. Peter gets up and he preaches. Thousands of people are cut to the heart. Thousands of people then come to Peter. This is Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. They come to Peter and say, what must we do? They're saying, tell us. Tell us what you want us to do. Tell us how do we respond. And Peter doesn't say join the church. Peter doesn't say fill out a card. Peter doesn't say get into Sunday school. Peter doesn't say buy a Bible. Peter doesn't say give money to the church. What does Peter say? Peter says repent and believe in The gospel, the point, the focus is not on Peter. The focus is not on Jesus. The focus is on God and what God is doing for us. One one last example, Acts chapter 16. You have Paul and you have Silas, and they're in the Philippian jail. And as they're in the jail, beaten, wearied, broken, at midnight, they're singing hymns, and the earthquake happens, and the jail cells open up, and and the chains and the stocks are loosened. 
And the jailer gets up thinking that everybody had fled and prepares to take his own life. And Peter or Paul cries out and says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 that the jailer goes inside. He sees them and he starts to trembling. And it says in Acts chapter 16 and verse, uh, verse 30 that when he sits down there, he looks at Paul and he looks at Silas and he says, men, what must I do? And they don't say, well, get us out of here. Find us some new bandages. Let's go back and get those son of a guns. They just got through beating us in hours before. They don't say we're hungry. What do they say? They say it is all about repenting and believing in the gospel. And sometimes you and I think that it's all about our knowledge. And it's all about our presentation. And it's all about somebody liking us. And it's all about me feeling good about myself. Or it's all about my ability to communicate to you. And the reality is we see over and over throughout Scripture that it's all about God. And the message that Mark is showing us that God is giving to the church is it's not about us. It's not about this church. It's not about the ministries of this church. It's about God. And it's about you and I coming together and pointing people to God and saying, repent and believe in the gospel. So where are you? Preparation? Proclamation? Or separation? You bow your heads with me. Thank you for joining us today at FBC Wellston. We would love to hear from you or connect with you. If you will visit our website at fbcwellston.org. Please let us know if we can serve you in any way, and we look forward to connecting with you in the future.